I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hello, Kairos. Well, we've got a full room tonight, and we need to keep praying on those bleachers. They're not healed yet, so some of you need to pray and fast this week. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. Um, I want this to be the kind of place where we are fully alive, fully ourselves, to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And the primary way that that is done, if not the only way I would submit to you sometimes, is through relationships. It's loving God and loving people. It's throughout the whole Bible. It's part of the greatest commandment. It is the goodness of God for the flourishing of his people in the context of relationships. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? I don't know about you, but oftentimes, more than flourishing, I experience frustration in my relationships. It's only Tuesday. Has anybody had a frustrating relational encounter with someone so far this week that you're like, seriously? Come on, Lord, what's going on here? It's ridiculous sometimes, and I wonder why that is. I wonder maybe it's because our brokenness blinds us. Maybe it's because our selfishness sabotages even the best of intentions in our relationships. Thank you. And maybe, just maybe, it is our unconscious or conscious rebellion against God's created order, instructions, and guidelines laid out in Scripture that often creates more sadness and suffering that we're aware of, let alone willing to take responsibility for. That's why we're doing a series called Love and Lies, Myths Around Marriage and Singleness. And we want to be the kind of people who relationally are flourishing with God and to each other. And today, I think the text that Jacoby just read is this wonderful, complex, beautiful, poetic passage around marriage. And quite simply, it's this. Marriage is a mirror for the mystery and the majesty of the gospel, the sacrificial love. It's meant to paint a picture here on earth of covenant love that points to something greater, deeper, truer, and of more value. Speaking of marriage... I need to take a minute out and thank my beautiful wife, Audrey, uh, for bringing the word last week. It was an act of courteous, reverent submission to God and to your husband um, to teach on that. And so I thank you for that. If you haven't listened to it, go back on the podcast. It was awesome. And no, I'm not jealous or envious or insecure at all about how the overwhelming positive feedback I received on how awesome last week Kairos was. <laughs> no, I'm not insecure that someone stopped me in Home Depot and said, I'm a deacon of this church and you better watch out for your job because your wife is awesome. <laughs> Doesn't tweak any of my issues at all. I'm just happy that you all know what I've known for the past 20 years. She's awesome. Um, and you need to know that that woman over there you want to raise your hand because now it's weird. I'm pointing you out. That's even more weird. Raise your hand. Submit. <laughs> did you see that? She just did this, which is the righteous the minimum righteous requirements of the law. It's totally invalidated your whole sermon. She is tender and she is strong. She is full of compassion and conviction. Um, and she is loyal and she is loving. And uh, I consider it an honor to do life and ministry alongside of you. And there's no one else I'd rather be with. So thank you so much for that. But this week, it's my turn. Daddy's back. 
And we get dropped into husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Here's what I want you to hear in that. Sacrifice and submission grant you permission to love and lead. Sacrifice and submission grant you permission to love and lead in the kingdom of God, the family of God, and especially for men's as husbands who are trying to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, hold on a second. I know I've read the data. 80% of you in here are single. So before you take out your cell phone and drop it on the bleachers and take a look at your dating app, just let me pause. 80% of you who are currently single, 90% of that 80% said one day you'd like to get married. Now, I would submit this to you that 100% of that 90% of that 80% did not grow up underneath a perfect marriage. So you got work to do. I don't care if your parents' marriage was absolutely perfect. They're lying to you. It wasn't. You just saw the perfect parts. You still got stuff to work through. I don't care if your parents' marriage was a toxic bowl of shame, dysfunction, and addiction. You can live a different way. I don't care if you grew up with one parent who did the best that they could. You can write a different story through your relationships. I don't care if, I, actually, I do care. It doesn't matter, I should possibly say. <laughs> Backtrack that up and rewrite that. It doesn't matter. I do care. It's part of my pastoral responsibilities. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't even know your biological parents. The truth of the matter is, is that you, as a child of God, have been grafted by the power of the Holy Spirit into the family of God. And that's Romans 8. If we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. And if we're heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ the King. His royal blood was shed for you. And so now you have a new identity, a new family, a new name, and new rights and responsibilities to live into, to live and learn how to royally relate to one another. Your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers, and husbands and wives. So husbands, love your Wives, as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice and submission grants us permission to love and lead. So men, buckle your seatbelt. Here it goes. This is going to hurt. Um, it's our royal responsibility, our divine duty, and it is our charismatic calling. See verses in 19 for that reference, for us to be word-fed and spirit-led and how we love our spouses now or in the future in such a way that it demonstrates the glory and the splendor of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice all the women just said amen, and all the men went, ouch, like, that's, that's probably, if you're listening to scripture and actually have 10% of an inclination to actually obey what this says, you should do this. Ugh, man, this is not easy. It's difficult. Now, let me just, I've been married for a while now, and part of one of the beautiful things about being in a covenant relationship with your spouse is they have permission to make fun of you. And so Audrey and I, we've been working out some this summer together because schedules have a little bit more flexibility. And I look over one day, I'm pushing the sled, uh, working on my legs, and my wife is laughing with our coach and trainer and pointing at me. <laughs> it's like, great, that, that does a lot for a man's self-esteem. <laughs> I'm like, what, dude? She's like, you make 
the dumbest, she didn't say dumbest. This is how I heard it. You make the silliest faces. You're always grimacing like, uh, uh. And I'm like, well, sweet, thanks a lot. I like to think that that's because I'm lifting more weight than you. But it's not because my wife actually has stronger legs than me, okay? <laughs> and I'll be honest, I know she wants to say two words to me, chicken legs. <laughs> I can see it, my deepest, darkest prophetic insecurity. Go ahead, say it. I know it's true, it's okay. I can handle it. No, I can't, don't ever say it. <laughs> but it's humiliating sometimes. I, but I, want, I submit this to you. I'm just expressive when it comes to pain, okay? It's what makes me a good pastor and a good preacher in the church, and apparently it's what makes me an idiot in the gym where people <laughs> point and laugh at me. Uh, case in point, I've got, um, uh, right before we started working out with this guy, uh, I had a guy who I originally started out with named Daniel who was trying to get me back in shape um, because I was neglecting the portion of this text that says husbands, Love your wives as your own body. I was not loving my body. I was ignoring it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I've got some approval issues, so why not just eat some more cheesecake and sit on the couch all day long? That's great. God, you've called me to do a lot of things, but oh well, I'm not gonna take care of this body. I get back in, and I'm like, all right, I've been neglecting my discipleship in the stewardship of my body. Daniel, I need help. My legs are the weakest things you've ever seen, and I have no core, which is why I have lower back issues, okay? And I was actually born without glutes. It's a m medical marvel, okay? <laughs> I don't know how I'm walking, but apparently it's happened. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'll whip you into shape. He puts me on something called Taste the Rainbow. And I'm like, ooh, chubby kid like Skittles. Let's go, right? <laughs> he's like, they're not Skittles. You take every single color of the plates that are in the gym, and you put them on the sled, 55, that one, I, I don't lift it that easy, trust me. <laughs> That's what it looks like with the 10. 55, 45, 35, 25, 10. The last one is green. I'm like, is that sour apple? He's like, shut up. <laughs> you get behind it, you push it 20 yards down, 20 yards back, and your reward is you get to take off the top plate and do it again until all the plates are gone. I think it's called Taste the Rainbow because I think if it's a euphemism around throwing up, like a Technicolor yawn or something like that, because you want to throw up, die, and vomit all at the same time, and you can't figure out which one your body's going to do. It's really, by the time you get done to an empty sled, you're literally praying for Jesus to return. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, just so we're clear right now, here's what my hamstrings feel like. String cheese being pulled apart section by section at a time, lit on fire, and then using Tabasco sauce to douse it out, okay? <laughs> That's what's happening right here, right now. When I read this text, men, as a husband, and it says, love your wives as Christ loves the church, that's what I feel like taste the rainbow is going on in my heart. I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. I, I'm intimidated. Like, you're holding up Christ's love as an example for how day in and day out I am to sacrifice, serve, and love my wife. Mercy, Lord. Ladies, look, I got all the respect and sympathy in the world for you, especially last week when we talked about wives submit to your husband. I know that's a heavy word. I know it's been abused and misused. But can we get some sympathy from you? Here's what Paul decided to tell us. Oh, it's okay, husbands, you're off the hook. 
just love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, you submit. Husbands, Jesus, go. Oh, great, thanks. That's awesome. 41 original Greek words uh, to instruct the wife, 114 for the husbands. The reality is that many of us men cannot bear the weight of responsibility and humility on the chicken legs of our character. And we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, and the authority of the word of God tonight, men, we will strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees. That's Hebrews 12, 12. We're going to surround ourselves. We need to come alongside of each other and train one another, encourage one another, admonish and rebuke one another in acts of righteousness, especially when it comes to protecting the covenant vows and the sanctity of marriage. That our kids should be able to point to the way that I love my wife and say, I understand the gospel. The question that I would tell you for any of the husbands who have children in the room Go home and ask them and say, hey, what's the best way that I show the love of Christ by sacrificing and serving mom? How do you see the love of Jesus in me with how I love your mother? Believe me, they're watching. And believe me, they'll tell you. So here it goes. Let's just break it down. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Just as the word submit should not be taken lightly for women, the word love should produce in us a courage and discipline beyond human capability. I love the way one scholar personified this present, active, and enduring verb. He says, when a Christian man says this to a woman, here's what it should mean, that he wants to love her as Christ loved the church. It should mean I love you, 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 and you alone. You shall reign in my heart. You are the one whom I have longed for. Without you by my side, this world feels wrong. I will give everything for you. I will give everything up for you, myself as well as all I possess. I will love you alone. I will work for you alone, and I will wait for you. I will never force you, not even by my words. I want to guard and protect you and keep you from all evil. I want to share with you all of my thoughts, my heart, my body, and all that I possess. I want to listen to what you have to say. There is nothing I won't undertake without your blessing. I want to always remain at your side. A love like that's worth waiting for, and men, a love like that can only be learned at the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't start when you say, I do. It starts right now by how you sacrifice and submit to the community of God around you. What I mean by that word there is that kind of encapsulates what I mean every morning when I put down in my prayer journal, Lord, give me a deeper love for Audrey. I don't mean, oh man, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> That's me self-editing. That was amazing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> what it doesn't mean is what I had one pastor tell me that was said to him in his third premarital counseling appointment when the future husband-to-be who was a Christian looked at him and said, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, we can just get a divorce and start over. That is not looking to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It is a love that is learned only at the feet of Jesus. 
It is loving your spouse as your own body, nourishing it, tendering, taking care, listening attentively to it. And one of the things that you guys need to hear this, by the way, uh, a lot of people speculate when we're looking for spouses, we find an idealized version of ourselves. Just want to make sure that you know this. Hey, whatever you currently hate about yourself, you're going to absolutely despise in your spouse when you see it. And so you better get to work on those things and let the loving, gentle kindness of Jesus offer you forgiveness and a different way of living so that you'll have a fat clue how to offer it when you see it in your future spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sacrifice and submission. It grants us permission to love and lead well. And to make her holy, holy. Oh, what a great word, right? It sizzles with anticipation. It drips with desires. It's sacred, set apart, other, splendor, majesty, just unbelievable. When I look at you, my jaw drops, and I know that there is something distinct and holy about you, and that the way that I love and talk about and serve and look at my wife should make her even more holy who God's designed and called her to be. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates this verse. I think he just gives us fresh ears for it, and I want you to hear it. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. Men, we don't lead out of superiority. We lead out of humility. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The full measure of Jesus Christ's affection for the church was laying down his life for her. No greater love that has than this than a person lay down their life for another person. Greek historians will tell uh, a story, uh, whether it's legend or fact, not really sure. There's, it's multiple accounts in different literature, so we'll just go ahead and take it as is. It's Cyrus, uh, king of Persia. I want to say prince of Persia. I think that may be a movie. But Cyrus is a king of Persia at the time, and there's a well-told story about one of his generals who was in service to his army. His wife was accused of treason. She was taken before the court in the palace, and as soon as the husband hears about it, he goes running down, bursts into the palace doors, and begins to cry out to the king, please, king, take my life instead of hers. I would rather die than let her die. And Cyrus the king, he was apparently well known as a sensitive and noble individual. And he looked at them both, and he said, death should not spoil a love like this. You both may go free. And as they walk out of the palace and back to their house, the husband looks smilingly. That's not a word. (laughs) Just get on with the story, Chris. He looks lovingly at his wife, and he just says, did you see the look the king gave us when he pardoned us? And she turned and said, I had no eyes for the king. My only eyes I had was for the man who would die for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You can't do it on your own strength. 
How are you going to do it? You're going to look to the king who only has eyes for us and who was not only willing to die, but did die in our place so that we could truly live. And a love like that, death will never spoil. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds and listen in to what the Lord might want to say to you. For me, this is the apex of our service. This is where you go, God, I think you're saying this to me. If you need to write it down, put it in the notes section. I was reminded reading a parable of Jesus when I was in my quiet times. Seed has been sown into your heart through the word of God. And the second you leave here, everything is going to try to choke it out, worries and concerns of life. So if you've heard from God, snatch it, grab it, bury it, nourish it, and cultivate it. Put it in good soil. What's the one thing God wanted you to hear tonight? And what do you need to do about it? So that's a great primer for those of you who this is a new exercise. Maybe I'd ask you this question. Is there an area in your life where God is asking you to love and lead and yet you're running and rebelling from it? Listen for the voice of the Father. Maybe the other question I would ask you too is, is there someone this week who you expect them to serve you and instead you need to serve them? Let's listen together.